Damage reports are coming in. The hull breach on deck 15 has widened to include deck 14, section 12. And there are 632 micro fractures along the hull's infrastructure. All primary systems are offline. We are running on emergency power only. The antimatter supply has dropped to 18% and is continuing to fall. Warp coils in both nacelles have fused and are inoperative. The environmental control systems are failing. 15 crew members have been seriously wounded with plasma burns. 27 experienced other injuries. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 21, Deadlock. It's like my brain just, like, froze up. See, I thought we had competing jokes, but we couldn't decide which one was better. Well, I had two jokes in mind, and I was trying to, like, figure out, like, how to bring them together, but they just kept getting, like, further and further apart. Mm. And then something came along and stole, like, all the best bits from from one of the jokes. (laughs) I feel like that metaphor is getting stretched a little bit. Yes. It originally aired on the 18th of March, 1996, and was written by... It was written by Brandon Braga and directed by David Livingston. All right. A couple of regulars. Mm-hmm. Our synopsis from TV Guide. Attempting to evade the Vidians, Voyager flies into a plasma drift, creating a duplicate ship. As the Vidians close in, it's clear only one craft will survive. Memory Alpha is trying really hard to avoid spoilers... While trying to avoid Vidian territory, Voyager is nearly destroyed by proton bursts coming from an unknown source. Well, yeah, uh, you know, avoid spoilers pretty well there. Yeah, that's the description of the cold open, which was super long. I felt like this whole episode was really long. It did feel that way, yeah. When I was watching it through the first time, like, I I was fine with it. I was, like, I was fully on board with the episode Mm -hmm. pretty much the whole time, but it was like, dang is this like a two-parter or something like dang yeah it did definitely go on for a while but yeah i very well written i thought and you know this episode is and i'm using this correctly i'm 99 percent sure high concept sci-fi and the fact that you're quiet makes me think that no i'm not using that correctly how do you think you're using it I mean, obviously, you think you're using it correctly, but... <laughs> <laughs> the elevator pitch is that Voyager gets split into two. Hijinks ensue. Yes. That is the high concept. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure we've covered this on an episode many, many moons ago, but high concept versus low concept, and you almost never hear low co- low concept because everyone just uses high concept incorrectly. Yes. Everyone, <laughs> everyone uses high concept as if to mean highfalutin basically and there is in fact no lowfalutin to my knowledge i don't think there is no like in the same way that almost everyone says chomping at the bed even though horses don't chomp they champ also apparently most people use high tea incorrectly but i drink coffee because i'm american so Korean and career as well mm. yes if you work a job long enough it turns into a career if you work it much longer you go careening off a cliff but you could also go careering off a cliff why would I want to? I don't actually fully under. I am one of those people that doesn't fully understand the difference between Korean and career. Not obviously. You're you're just aware that there's they, that a difference exists, and that you can use career sometimes when people actually mean when people actually say Korean, they should be saying career. But I'm not entirely sure when it it is that you're supposed to say career. Does does the fact that you can't differentiate between the two of them immediately? leave you non plused 
does it? I'm I don't not know. Because sure. <laughs> I'm also not entirely sure. I'm so confused about Don Plus because I hear that everyone uses it wrong. Uses it wrong, but yeah. at the same time, I don't know. There's, there's a level of irony here. Yes. Let us, and I will use this term correctly, peruse this episode. Mmm. Nice. And before you write in and tell us that we're using it wrongly, You're that's, wrong. a, that's another one that people do wrongly. <laughs> to peruse is to examine thoroughly. Yes. Okay. I'll admit, we may not examine this like as thoroughly as you may wish, but it's certainly going to be more than the accepted common usage of to skim. And one final one, just because it's another one that I, that annoys me. Decimate means to reduce by one-tenth. Yes. Ever since I learned the proper definition of that word anytime it comes up in anything it's like they completely decimated our forces well i mean that's not good but you still got nine more guys left yeah anyway so this episode (laughs) yes this episode so we open in uh in the mess hall in neelix's nook Mm. yeah we open on ensign wildman she's just you know having some tea perhaps it's high tea i don't know <laughs> neelix comes over and in you know in the course of also saying like hey how's it going how's your day by the way you're you know a you know tech person on board can you fix my oven so okay this slightly odd that he asks Wildman, especially when there's a bunch of yellow shoulders in the room secondly why had he sent a request to harry kim to fix his oven I don't know, but that's this episode's reason why Harry Kim is still an ensign. <laughs> well, no, Harry Kim had that idea for that didn't yeah, work for stabilizing exactly. the yeah exactly. He the he's price. off doing he's off doing highfalutin things instead of doing lowfalutin things like fixing the oven. But even fixing the oven is not Harry Kim's job. Yeah, whatever. Harry Kim is that's there to something do... that like Torres should delegate to Hogan or something. Yeah, I was going to say Hogan. Anyway, so, yeah, so she pokes around with the oven, which apparently vaporized a pot roast. So, maybe they eat meat? Oh. Hmm. I mean... We're we're just going to keep not being 100% sure if they eat meat or not until the end of the show, I'm thinking. That's fine. Anyway. Uh, And he's like, oh, well, while I have you, can you also fix my replicator? The celery is coming out yellow. It's like an odd malfunction yeah that is an odd malfunction like the food still works it's just yellow yes food work i mean is edible i mean not works and we and we get our our first indication that perhaps the aeroponics bay is not big enough for the whole ship Mm. i guess we too and wildman goes into labor yeah like you do when you're extremely pregnant it is something that happens yes we're we then uh cut to the bridge where there seems to be a pregnant pause across the Ba-dum. crew. Thank you. Which, if the labor has been going on for, what was it, seven hours? Something like that, yeah. How are they still just sitting around waiting? Like, how have they not been like, oh, well, I better just get on with my, you know, normal stuff, you know? Uh- uh, yeah, although I do appreciate the idea, you know, flashing back a few episodes to when Tom Paris was being, you know, like a 
massive jerkwad to everybody uh-huh. uh, and was like, why don't you just put the whole ship on autopilot? I was like, well, since you can just sort of like lounge about in your chair and kick back for seven hours while waiting for a woman to give birth, maybe we can just put the ship on autopilot. So I've been thinking about automatic ship things. And I feel as though the ship is not nearly as automated as it should be. I agree. Because a couple times this episode, and it happens in so many other episodes, primary systems fail. Someone has to manually enter the control to switch over to secondary systems. Uh, Yeah, even in today's world, backup generators kick online within like five seconds of main power going out in a building. Sometimes slightly longer than that, but yes. I mean, at the very least, they're like the emergency lights kick on immediately. Yes, yes, they do. That's the whole point of them. Yes. So, I agree. So, yeah, so now we're in Sick Bay where Ensign Wildman is tired of pushing. Push, Ensign. You push, dammit. I'm sick of pushing. After seven hours, wouldn't you be? <laughs> yeah, for real. And there is a problem in the process. And so the doctor says activate the fetal transporter. So, yep. if they can do that in the case of a problem, why can't they just, like, yep. do that in the case of not a problem? So, I'm not a birthologist, but I wonder if, just given how humans have evolved, if on some level, or maybe just mammals, if on some level, like, they need to go through the process. Otherwise, like, they don't release the hormones correctly and they'll, like, flood their system and it could cause like more complications for the mother down the road hmm that's possible i hadn't thought of that Uh, maybe i I mean i have no idea i mean i I do know that or rather i have read that i think c-sections have become increasingly popular yes whether if it's that by choice or over recommendations by doctors yes i've read similar things about that that basically especially if you've had one the doctor will they'll pretty much default to if well if you had a c-section before you must have one now and that's not necessarily always required right so they use the fetal transport and what is the fetal transport except a high-tech c-section right no exactly that's what i was thinking Uh, i mean before they offered up the fetal transport idea i'm like can you do a c-section since it sounds like if the baby keeps doing what it's doing, it's going to tear the mom apart. Mm. And it's just after that happens when they are discussing the fact that because of the transport, there's this like small problem that they can easily solve. And then they hit some kind of subspace turbulence. Yes, they do. I think at this point we've already determined that the Vidians are out there and they've already diverted into the plasma cloud or whatever. Yeah, that's why they went into the plasma cloud in the first place. Uh, yeah, I just couldn't remember if that happened like before or after the birth is all. It was before. Cool. So, yeah. So, a little bit of subspace turbulence, and now things are wacky and blowing up a little bit. Well, first, there was a drop in antimatter. Well, that's what I'm talking about, the wacky. Okay, well, the blowing up was after that, though. I suppose that's... Yeah, that's right, because they like when they were taking measures to address the antimatter problem, that's when things started blowing Just up. Just before... Because they were going to try an, they were gonna try proton bursts to try to fix the antimatter problem, but before they could start doing it, proton bursts appeared out of nowhere and wreaked havoc with the ship. And then the explosion. Yeah, seriously. Everywhere. At this point, we have the theme. Mm-hmm. Finally. <laughs> like, 
seven minutes into the episode. A lot happened in that seven minutes. Dang. Yeah, no, they went from a pretty normal day to a, you know, no good, very bad day very quick. Yes. So there was a big explosion in engineering, Mm -hmm. and there are more explosions everywhere. There's a hull breach that Harry Kim has a cunning plan to to fix. Yep. Uh, There's some problems happening with Ensign Wildman's baby. Right, and people are just rushing into sickbay because of all the explosions and everything. Uh, At a certain point, the doctor rolls up his sleeves, which is odd. Yes. Yeah, because there was a coolant leak in the mess hall. Right. And then I also have to wonder, why can't the doctor be like, computer, clone EMH program? Computer, activate emergency medical hologram sub 2. Well, in a later episode, we find out they can't actually copy the EMH. They cannot. Yeah, like they they try to like make they try to make a copy of the EMH and it fails. And yet, in a later later episode, <laughs> uh, there's an entire plot line around the Doctor's backup module being a copy. So who knows? Yeah, because e- even if it is the backup module that's like a day or a week or even a year old, it's better than only having the one Doctor and Kess in in sick bay attending to everyone. Yeah, in a couple seasons though, they'll send the Doctor like as a message to another ship and they can't just copy him to the other ship they send his file over there and then he's no longer on voyager while he's on the other ship yeah which makes no sense but i that's i'm gonna take what that weirdness and like play it you know as okay that's how it works in that no the doctor can't just make more of himself right we copied your brain but it's degrading Yes, exactly. So, we're with uh, Harry, Bellana, and Hogan. They are on deck 15 now, I think? Or yes. I guess they're technically on deck 14. Right, because they're just above the hull breach. Right. Anyway, heading into the Jeffries tubes, which are 22% weaker than normal. I don't know like where and how they get these numbers. I don't either. It's a metal tube. How are you measuring? It doesn't matter. Anyway, so... <laughs> They're off to work on it. Hogan's going to, you know, push buttons on a console to do a thing while Harry gets into position to deploy the the, the, the force field. Uh, Hogan gets blown up. Yes, he does. And then Harry gets blown out. I feel like Harry and probably also Bellana should have been sucked out immediately. Yes. Like, that was... What was that? Like, the it blows out and... I mean, I guess maybe there's, like, enough of the force field there. Because they didn't say, like, they, they said it was weak, right? Not that it, like, the force fields weren't, like, weren't at full strength. Not that they weren't there at all, I think. Maybe? So maybe that was the problem. Or maybe, like, that's what the reason why I didn't get sucked out immediately. But anyway, goodbye, Harry. Yes. I mean, obviously, like, by the end of the episode, we understand why. But it was handled kind of... Like, Bellana was tore up about it, but... And then, like, she calls in, and it's like, Harry Kim is gone. They're like, oh, no. There was the interesting fact of Kess disappearing. That's why. Yeah, no, exactly. And also, Kess disappeared. Whoa, 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 hold up a second. That one's way more important to me right now. Well, it's not like they can do anything about Harry being dead. Yeah, that's true. But Janeway was a little more choked up about it in Heroes and Demons when Harry died. No, you're right. I mean, in that case, then, she's already... She's already had to deal with it once. Yeah, this this would in fact be number three, at least at least three. This might be four. What was the fourth? So there's heroes and demons. Yeah, there's emanations. That's the death shroud one. Yes. Okay. 
Then the, then this is three. We're at we're at the you know Harry Kim death count three. I want to say there was another episode where I said he would have died, and you said it didn't count. But I don't remember which episode that was. Yeah, no. If it's he would have died, it doesn't count. <laughs> so I think he's still behind. He's still behind Daniel Jackson. Do we count the presumed alternate universe Harry Kim that got transported back into Harry Kim's body right before that shuttle exploded in non sequitur? No, because that was a dream the entire time. That's right. Okay. Yeah. He fell asleep at the console. That's why he was still an ensign. That's right. I forgot about that, that it was entire. It was all a dream state. Right. Okay. So, at some point, many minutes ago, <laughs> Janeway and Chakotay had had a conversation about, maybe we can pull, uh, magnetize the hull to stop the, the protons from beating us the crap up. And it works for a little bit. Well, it also takes, like, way longer than I would expect for Chakotay to finally get it online. Or maybe I just feel that way, because, like I said, like, this this episode, like, moved slowly. It, like, in, like, in my, in, like, with my internal clock, it, it, it felt like it was going a lot more slowly than I would expect. So. I think because this episode was basically in real time, whereas most episodes aren't, there's usually long gaps in most episodes. Uh, yeah, you know, this is going to take 12 hours to compile. You know, like, you know, 12 hours later, now we're back. Whereas most of this episode was in real time as we were seeing it. Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, we get a couple we get a couple of call-outs on how much time has elapsed. I mean, you know, the 7-hour bit, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, you know, we've got 30 minutes of antimatter left, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so it was it, it was truncated um, a little bit, but uh, I think that you're right that in a, a lot of places it was more or less in real time. And like everything, I feel as though everything that happened once the antiproton, or sorry, once the proton burst started hitting, I feel like everything from that up until when Janeway at Al leave the bridge that was pretty much one long stream. I think you're right. So yeah, so Ch- Chakotay finally gets the the whole magnetized and the proton beatings cease morale has apparently improved enough (laughs) so since we have a calm in the storm tuvok then launches into a 40 second long rundown on the damage report it's pretty long yeah i mean the damage report also also included a crew injury report but still it was and you know janeway's face just like keeps like falling lower and lower through like all new sub basements of goodness sakes my ship is broken for real but you know she takes a beat and like immediately just like okay well let's start fixing these problems then and that's when the magnetics fail uh yeah so the magnetized hull is no longer magnetized and now the bridge starts exploding yeah there's a hull breach on deck one and yet it doesn't look like there's a hull breach on deck one is deck one only the bridge well it would be the bridge plus the uh conference room and the ready room Maybe the whole breach is in the ready room or the conference room. Are the turp are the are those sliding doors airtight? Yes. Okay. I would hope so. I mean, I would design them that way. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. And just before Janeway leaves the bridge, she sees a vision of herself and everyone else acting normally on the bridge. Yes. And that neatly transitions us to non-cut up, well-kempt Janeway seeing a vision of torn up Janeway leaving the bridge. I like kempt and unkempt Janeway. Okay, I'll try to stick with that. Or I won't. I'm wily. Yeah, fair enough. 
And she even makes the comment that she looked like hell. Yeah. Although, Kemp Janeway's combat just slightly askew. Well, there was that turbulence. Ah, okay, yeah. So, Kemp Janeway asks Harry to scan the bridge for temporal rifts or something. Stuff. Spatial anomalies. Whatever. Uh, she herself heads on down to Sick Bay to see what's going on with Ensign Wildman. Yeah, because she's been knitting a blanket. Yes, apparently. And we get a bit of an exchange between the doctor and Samantha. Our baby is perfectly healthy. Our baby. A figure of speech. <laughs> you may hold her now. Well, I mean, it's the first baby the doctor's delivered, so. Yeah. He feels some attachment. And we find out that there's a slight phase shift in other Kess's DNA. Oh, yeah, other Kess is here. Yeah, also other Kess is here. <laughs> and so is that piece of conduit. And yeah. Somehow, like, with that one-foot section of conduit, they can place the exact location in the ship that it came from. Has a label that we can't see. Do they have, like, a barcode every foot? Why not? <laughs> because that's dumb. Is it? If they ever have to replace it, do they have to then, like, stamp a new label on it? Obviously. That's just unnecessary. It's generic conduit. Just run the conduit. Yeah. It just seems like extra work for no good reason. On either a human or robot's part to then have to go along and stamp that it's, you know, this conduit came from this bulkhead. Did they actually say which bulkhead it came from? They said they knew it came from Voyager. Knew it, they knew it came from Voyager, deck, section, and, like, subsection. Okay, then I don't know. So, we're back on the bridge after Janeway and, Kess, Janeway and other Kess have had a conversation where Janeway's like, well, I mean, everything you're telling us, it all matches up, up until the turbulence, and then that's where our paths diverged, things are no good. She calls down to Bellana to say, okay, turn off the, the proton the proton stuff because it's apparently causing problems for other us. And that's a problem for them because it will mean that the antimatter won't be good enough. Uh, so now we're on the bridge. And Chakotay's explaining that they figured out what exactly happened after doing a quantum scan on the data. Yeah. Or quantum analysis on the data, I think it was. Doesn't matter. And yeah, we learned that there was a... There was a Exper there were experiments at Kent State University where they were able to use subspace fields to duplicate matter. But not antimatter. Yeah. Kent State University, by the way, is where Brandon Braga studied. Ah. A little call out for the old alma mater, eh? Yeah. So yeah, so the so the the captain uses a I would say outdated analogy by saying that it's like the ships it, the ships are like Siamese twins that are sharing a single heart. Shouldn't she say Conjoined twins because they're like the. That's to be like... the medical term, but Siamese. I mean, today we still use it. I. It's okay. possible they would still use it in the 24th century. I mean, the most famous case of conjoined twins were two Siamese people. So it's it's a very common. If you say Siamese twins, people know what you mean. Uh, yeah. No, no. No. I just. They always seem to like. It felt like one of those instances of, like, A, this was supposed to be, like, the 24th century, and they're all, like, like prim and proper and, and whatnot. And B, that it just it like made it super obvious that it, this was written in the 20th century. Okay, that's probably true. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's sort of like if she was, like, it's as if the ships were, like, these two golden 
arches meeting <laughs> in the middle like that sort of thing like, it, like sort of like like date stamps like when it was written with like just that one little term it it felt out of place like it 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 felt like it would be more in character for them to have used conjoined twins. Yeah, and if the script were written today, it would it would have been conjoined twins. Well, I think we spent enough time on on that. Yes, probably. So what happens next? I'm a little lost. <laughs> so, yeah, they're missing the antimatter. So now they need to find a way to coordinate with the other ship. And all they know is that the spatial rift on deck 15. So they need to try to figure out how to send not their cast back. Uh, yes, and not their cast is down in sick bay where little baby Wildman is is crying quite a bit, which triggers ca- uh, other cast. And the doctor comes over to console her to say, "Well, you did all you could. Your ship was blowing up. What are you going to do?" And mm-hmm. on top of all that, I'm sure that your ship also had a rather proficient EMH. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun line. Yeah. Uh, so now we're down the bridge. Where, yes, uh, Janeway and Bellana are trying to cook up a way to communicate with the other ship. And they're trying all these different frequencies and everything, and nothing's working. And Janeway's like, well, what if we just, like... They tried 47 different frequencies. I noticed, yes. Oh, by the way, I missed it earlier. Um, when they first detect the large plasma drift, it was bearing four zero Mark 7. I'll allow it. Yeah. But Janeway's like, what if we just, like, shout really loud on one subspace channel? <laughs> like basically her idea you know you might be on to something <laughs> right so Bolana's like okay i'll do it it's just gonna sound like a really like loud whistle though so cut to other voyager where they have just set up engineering as the impromptu bridge welcome to the new bridge same as the old bridge but you know not is there not an auxiliary control like all the way back in the original series, there was an auxiliary control room. Maybe it got blown up, too. Mm, possible. This is the backup backup bridge. Because, like, uh, TNG is not a good example because that ship could separate, so it absolutely needed a second bridge. Uh, the battle bridge. Which we only saw a couple times because they, it was way more expensive than they thought it would be to film the ship separating. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess they didn't want to just like use the same stock, like the same footage over and over again. Yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't just use the same footage over and over again. Yeah, or, or I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Then a shrill whistle comes over the comms. Yeah. It is some kind of comms emission. Yeah, it's as if they're shouting really loud. This is our second of four some kind ofs that I caught this episode. The only one I actually have written down is the subspace turbulence. Some kind of disruptor. And some kind of subterfuge. Mmm, yes, you're right. We're about to get the, the, the third some kind of. Yeah. After the after the shrill whistle and Balana presses buttons and does things, the screen literally tells her to tune to twelve uh, to twelve gigahertz and she says, I think it's telling me to tune to twelve gigahertz. Yes, which is a very high frequency. It is. But like the screen's like emergency transmission, tuned to twelve gigahertz. Like, do we have things that use 12 gigahertz? Uh, well, I mean, your Wi-Fi router uses 5, so... Yeah. No, it's not... Obviously, it's not outside the realm of possibility. It may not be available to consumers. It may be, like, you know, government or aviation. Right. Or military locked. Yeah, fair enough. Or maybe it's just one that it's like, well, we'll get there in, like, 10 years or something. We'll start tapping into the 12 gigahertz band. 
presumably you use more power the higher the frequency. I guess. I don't... I, I may have just revealed myself to be a complete idiot and who knows nothing about how this works. I'm not Hedy Lamar. I have no idea how radio transmissions work. Yeah, I don't either. So anyway. Yes. So how did the static that was just static also have a Federation signature to it? You mean after they tuned to 12 gigahertz? Before they tuned to 12 gigahertz. With, with a shrill whistle. The shrill whistle had a Federation signature to it. How did that work? Man, I don't know. How'd they know where the conduit came from? Fair enough. They they apparently stamp everything in the future, which becomes like way more obvious in like later movies and shows in the st- in in within Star Trek, where it's just like we're gonna put deltas on everything. <laughs> like we're gonna like we're we're gonna bring back scale armor, but the scale little deltas. Mm. In the original series, they had lots of pipes that were stamped DNGN for does nowhere uh, or goes nowhere does nothing does nothing goes nowhere. That's it. Or maybe it was GNDN. Anyway that so sort of like that explanation yes very much like that went nowhere for a minute (laughs) very much like that explanation i mean it did something but it didn't go anywhere for a minute (laughs) so uh yes so kempt janeway comes on the the view screen explains the situation tells them how to dial in so they can like talk better uh that communication ends and tuvok's like perhaps it's some kind of some some kind of subterfuge but Kemp Janeway knows about the time that Janeway walked home seven kilometers in the rain after losing a t- tennis match, so... Okay, so here's what I gotta know, and hopefully you don't spend too terribly much, lo- too terribly much time on this, but it's us, so we will. But <laughs> the way she said it, it made it sound like had she not lost the tennis match, she would have taken the bus home or ridden with her parents or right. used the transporter or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's how I took it. Was this self-flagellation? So, yeah, I think it was like some sort of like she was upset and just wanted to be on her own. Or, or what were her parents like those kinds of parents? No, her parents were not. Okay. So, I'm pretty sure this is actually in uh, the biography of Janeway that Jerry Taylor wrote. Uh, but it's been like a decade since I read it, so I can't say for sure. Okay, okay. Okay. Actually, it's been more than a decade because I was in high school at the time. So I feel like at this like so at this point they've established communication between both ships and they can I mean they get cut off all the time but they can reestablish. Mm-hmm. I feel like there should be more instances of both parties saying the same thing at the same time and instead we had zero instances and I would have I would have liked at least two. Yes. I did like the Lieutenant Torres and Lieutenant Torres. Yes. Well, that was that good. was fun. Although, it would have been even better if she had been like, Lieutenant Torres? No, I agree. Activate the deflector's dish. <laughs> That's not how that works, but okay. So, yes. So, yeah. So, they go, you know, they, they have this uh, brilliant idea to pump a bunch of power through the deflector dish and do stuff. And that should cause the two ships to merge back together. And I feel like that's a would have been a great idea before... Ship sub one started bombarding ships on sub two with the proton beams. Yeah, like I feel like how does this work when the ships are so drastically different now? Right, like one of them's missing a whole person mm. and a big piece of its hull and a smaller person, a part partial person too. No, no, that person's still there. 
Oh, they're just like the, okay. like the body is still there. That's fair. Like, okay. I, I'm thinking like I'm thinking like strictly from like a bits of matter perspective. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, the ship itself has changed quite a bit. Yes, and people are not in the same spot. And yeah, there's just yeah. Th- th- this 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 was a far fetched plan from like from the outset, which is probably why it didn't work. So they go back to racking their brains on how to solve the problem, but. After this failed attempt, they are now hemorrhaging antimatter, and they have, at best, 30 minutes left. Which is not good. No. Uh, Harry Kim comes over the comms to say that we figured out how we can send other casts back to other Voyager. And Janeway's like, well, rig me up one of those things, too. I'm going there. Yes. Yes, she does. Think, people. We need options. I agree, Captain. And I think we need to talk. So now we have both Janeways on other Voyager. She just shows up and starts talking to unkempt Janeway. Yeah, you know we have a we have a little um, Janeway junket. Nice up on the uh, upper deck of the of engineering. Yeah, my Torres thinks that if we do <laughs> X Y Z, we can you know that that might work. No, 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 we thought of that, but my Torres thinks. Yeah, we have checkoffs. We can only send a maximum of five to ten people over. Well, here's what I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just shuffle the crew of other Voyager into the literally thousands of shuttles that they have in their, you know, non-Newtonian shuttle bay? Have them drift away from the thing. <laughs> mm. Then do other Janeway's idea of, I will now blow up the ship. Yeah, I wonder. Because it's broken anyway. They have more than enough shuttles to carry the crew. Especially if you combine the two ships' shuttles. Well, they they probably can't couldn't. combine. Like how it, like... They probably don't. No, they probably don't have shuttles to carry the crew. But I sure hope they have escape pods that can hold all the crew. That's kind of the whole point. Yeah, they could jettison the escape pods, and then you know, Voyager Prime could pick them up. Yeah, I mean, then it's a question of like, what do we like? You know, as we will find out in a couple of episodes. People are best where they belong, but having that person who can be in multiple places at once could be useful. Yeah, see, that's the other thing. They send over the Harry and what, the baby Wildman. Yeah. They could have sent, like, another, you know, three to eight people. Yeah. Like, why not have two Tuvoks? Well, we know why. We'll <laughs> get to that in a second. Well, if we had two Tuvoks, then the, moral, then the paradox wouldn't be even be an issue. Right. Why not have two Hogan's? Yeah, two Bolanas. Think how how good the engineering would be with two. No, two Bolanas would argue with each other constantly. <laughs> but two Hogans now now you know Bolana has two helpers. Two Tuvoks would work well together. I think. I feel like since as we are shown in Star Trek over and over and over again that logic can be used to justify any position, I feel like two Tuvoks would still get into arguments with themselves because <laughs> each one would be arguing a different like would be playing devil's advocate from a different angle they both would be like perfectly logical about it Mm. two chicotes no one needs that two kesses then the doctor could have two nurses one kes can work and work on getting the yields up in aeroponics while the other one helps the doctor yeah there you go two neelixes one could be morale and one could be mess hall one could devote all of his time to his news program yes you need you know, twenty a briefing with Neelix needs to be a twenty four seven news channel. <laughs> yes. Well, two Chicotes would get awkward just because 
which one's the first officer? One's first officer in the day, one's first officer at night. And night shift, Chicote. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, there were so many things that they could have done. And obviously, if there hadn't been Vidians doing their Vidian stuff, yes, they also could have carried over lots of supplies, etc., etc. Maybe torpedoes. Hey! By the way, the Vidians have shown up. But they only see Kempt Voyager. Yes, and they only latch on to Kempt Voyager because the two of them are out of phase, obviously. And they just, like, go to town. And they somehow know what a Vulcan is. Yeah, the the fact they know what a, um... Oh, common. I would assume at some point they met it, they encountered... No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes more sense because Delta Quadrant. But, yeah, Vulcan... And they've encountered humans before. Yeah. R.I.P. Durst. <laughs> but Vulcan, this this is their first Vulcan. How do they know that the, how do they know that Tuvok is a Vulcan? I was wondering that. Also, did you think it, it was weird that Tuvok's leg wasn't flat when he fell? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, his knee was bent. His his he was lying on his back, and his left leg, his shoe was flat on the floor, but his knee was bent, so his leg was like up. People fall weird sometimes. Yeah, I feel like that would... But since he was stunned, I feel like it it wouldn't have stayed that way because there wouldn't be anything to, like, hold it in place. I think it would have then Other than the grip of his shoe on the carpet. Apparently super grippy shoes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so so, so Tuvok gets taken out uh, really quickly. Yeah. We cut to another hallway where there's Tom Paris and two other crew members who who don't get a name uh, running, and then Tom Paris gets taken out. Yeah. We... Then cut to sick bay. The doctor has erected an emergency force field. Which does not last long. No. Force field does not last very long at all. Barely enough time for the doctor to enact his plan of hiding the baby in an access port. He doesn't even have the time to do that. Well, like, well, no sooner does he have the time to say, I'm going to hide the baby in an access port, that the baby starts crying. And it's like, like his plan is they won't look at an access port, but they can hear. And he doesn't get a chance to go to the access port. He's hiding in his office instead. Uh, yes, we find that out later. Because, as Kess points out, they use some kind of disruptor to destroy the force field. Then we're back on the bridge, and Janeway is getting a very bad report from Chakotay. The, the DNs have taken everything below Deck 5, and he doesn't know how much longer they'll hold the bridge. There are 347 the DNs on board. So that is 347 references. Yes, nice. Thank you. Which is two to one. Actually, it's slightly more than two to one, I believe. It is slightly more than two to one. It's uh, like two and a half yeah. to one. Well, not quite. It's like two and a third. Anyway, uh, Jane was like, well, this sucks. Uh, they reestablished comms with Kempt Janeway. Well, with unkempt Janeway. Yeah, they reestablished comms with unkempt Janeway. Uh, on Kim Chainway's like, well, maybe we can help and send you, like, people. And Kim Chainway's like, no, it's way too late for that. I'm going to blow up the ship. <laughs> so she says, computer, set self-destruct on mute for five minutes. Here's my authorization code. And once again, no one else needs to give an authorization code, even though Chakotay's right there. At least this one's four characters. Yeah. And the computer's like, okay, self-destruct, set on mute. I won't talk again. And it's like, no, just, just like, beep at me. <laughs> like, I hope that broadcast only went to the bridge and I not over the whole ship. I mean, it clearly did because the Vidians had no idea what was happening. But it's like, I told you, mute, computer. Dude. 
Yes, in this episode, the the crew. Oh yeah, in this episode, the crew uh, becomes one fifty seven again. Okay, because it had gone down gone to one fifty six when Jonas died. Ah, like oh, I had we had neglected to mention that also in the course of all of this, Kemp Janeway said, "I will send living Harry Kim and living baby over to you." It only seems fair, which seems like a weird thing to say. She doesn't say living. She just says, I'm going to send Harry Kim through the rift with Ensign Wildman's baby. No, no, no. It, no, it, it's the bit where she's like, like, it seems more than fair or whatever. Like, It seems only fair. Yeah, that was yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. Like that part. Yeah, that's the part that seemed weird. I, I, I didn't. Like, I added the living bit. Gotcha. So off Harry goes to go get the baby. He does a very impressive takedown of two Vidians in sick bay. That forward roll was entirely improvised by Garrett Wong, and it was his favorite stunt in the show. Nice. And with that, I forgive him for not fixing Neelix's oven at the <laughs> beginning of the episode. So the Vidians break onto the bridge. Everyone's just sort of chilling. Janeway's like, welcome to the bridge. A little reminiscent of Star Trek Three. Yes. We're back on unkempt voyager now mm-hmm. harry just breaks through the field in time we get an exterior shot of unkempt voyager and it sure looks kempt to me because they didn't want to dirty the model building replacement panels at least we do get tuvok mentioning repairs and when janeway and cam are walking through the halls we see some people putting up some wall panels uh, yeah yeah like, interior I'm sure that by next episode, the interiors can be sparkling new again, because we also have no concept of how long it's been from this instant. But, like, their antimatter is super low, and they said that both warp nacelles were fused. Like, like they are, like, limping. Yes. Near Vidian space. So, is their antimatter low, or did when the other Voyager blew up... You know, actually, that's an interesting thought. If they're sharing the antimatter... I would assume a big component of the self-destruct is make, having the warp core explode. It's literally how the self-destruct works. Like, the computer, like, Janeway or the computer told us in this episode. So how does that not destroy both Voyagers, since they're sharing the antimatter? I don't know. I was also wondering, so the antimatter didn't get duplicated. It, the idea that they were both sharing from the same supply of antimatter works but i feel like couldn't they have like split it somehow like each of them gets a half tank Mm. like i don't know yeah anyway yes yes you have to blow up the warp core to self-destruct the ship so yeah maybe it burned all the antimatter from unkempt voyagers reactor they're i mean they're still screwed yeah so that's a little bit of a plot hole but yeah try not to think about it too hard because i really do like this episode no i liked it a lot as well uh we do get a a bit of a conversation between janeway and tuvok towards the end where tuvok is musing on janeway's logical dilemma that she was facing Mm -hmm. and janeway says well, I, you know, I look forward to the repairs being completed. I'm sure that, you know, Bellana would like me to get out of her engineering room. And Tuvok just gives this, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was good. And then we have Kim having a bit of an existential crisis. Uh, yes. And Janeway just sort of, you know, metaphorically cuffs him on the shoulder and says, well, weird, weird is part, part of the job. job. Which is not wrong. No, and it's a good way to end the episode. It is. I really enjoy this episode. I think... 
you know, we have a couple left to go, but I think it's my favorite of season two. Wow. That's saying something. But, you know, I'll think about that more when we get to the end of the season. Uh, yeah, no, I I definitely enjoyed it a lot. I don't know. I'll, I, I'd have to spend more time um, thinking on the rest of the season, but it's, it's, it's way up there for me. Yeah, that's true. Meld was also really good. Uh, anyway, yes. <laughs> that's going to be an entire episode of the podcast, so we don't have to do that now. Uh, yeah, and so that wraps up this episode. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about episode 22, Innocence. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find or review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. And I'm at Gamicus. And you can follow the show at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. Stopping.